you go ahead and have a seat. We'll continue our time of worship as we study God's Word. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, it is no surprise I ask you to turn to Romans chapter 1. One of our assignments over this past month has been to read Romans 1 and continue to read Romans chapter 1. I trust you're familiar with it and you've ever thought, how's Pastor Tim going to deal with the latter part of Romans 1? Well, it is upon us at this moment. Appreciate prayers. Thank you, Matt and the rest uh, of the team for leading us. That song that we just sang, throughout the course, what we're in November of 2020, throughout the course of this year, I have found myself singing that song many, many, many times. And I don't think I'm the only one here that we would very quickly confess with all that is swirling around us, Lord, we need you. We need you. Even with this before us, it is so appropriate, as Pastor Stewart reminded us as well, of the holiness of God and how we approach him in worship and how we approach his word that is opened up and read and preached to us, that we do this with great care. I welcome you this morning at the Big Woods Bible Church. Um, a church that is far from perfect, but a church that has their eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we seek and we will strive to do everything that we can to honor and to glorify him first and foremost. Especially in these moments that we're gathered together as the Lord's people on the Lord's day for his glory and for his glory alone. Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we ask for help, um, as we listen and as we learn this morning. <clears throat> Father, we love you. We love you. And we're so undeserving of your love for us, but we receive it with joy, with gladness, with gratitude. We thank you for your presence here that I, I sense this morning. It says in your word that where two or more gather together, you are with us in our midst. And we thank you for that. We need your help. We need you, just as we together sang. We need you in the day and time that you've called us to live in, to see you first, to see others second and ourselves last. We need you, Lord, to reveal the areas of our heart that need to change. We need you, Lord, to speak to us, and we ask that you would do that now. Father, we pray, I pray right now for Pastor Josh, who has been ill, and we pray, Lord, for strength for him and healing, that he would be returned to full health soon. We pray for Krista and the kids as well. We just pray, Lord, that we would lean in and, and love and care for one another as all of us go through seasons. I just pray, Lord, that we would, we would show our love for you by showing love for other people. Lord, I ask for just help this morning, clarity of thought and mind, and in, in, in all honesty, a challenging text. I pray, Lord, that you would be heard, 
that you would be the focus, that you would give clarity of thought and mind, that you would, you would convict hearts where we need to be convicted. We ask your will to be done. We ask this now in the amazing and matchless name of Jesus. Amen and amen and amen. The time for truth is now. Our series theme. We've looked at, in a sense, uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. It holds kind of this, this mountain top. This, we, we climb the ascent to see the landscape of the book of Romans. And, and we talked just a couple weeks ago that the righteousness of God has been revealed to us. From faith, for faith, the just shall live by faith. So we've learned in this first chapter that God has revealed himself not only through his own incarnation. That's Jesus coming to earth. Okay? manger, cross, tomb. But we also looked last week about God has revealed himself to us through creation, through the beauty that, that exists all around us. So much so that God, having revealed himself to us, that we now are without excuse, it says. There's no excuse. You can't say, I didn't get the message. No, no, you can't say that. God has revealed his righteousness, and we also saw that God has revealed his wrath to us. That's who he is. But, but what has happened is that although God has carefully revealed himself, mankind has what? Suppressed, they've crushed down the truth. And the result that we see tragically, we saw the phrase once last week, and we see it twice this week, is that God just gave them up. You, you, you want to just disregard the revelation of God? You want to disobey and dishonor? Be, be reminded that God is not going to stand for a second place to anything. God is not going to stand for a second place to anyone. Anything can become idolatry. We talked about with the little ones. Anything, even good things. And, and, and God says what? You have nothing else before me. You love me with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God has revealed himself to us. Now, now we pick it up here, and we're going to finish this chapter. Pick it up in verse 26, and we're, we're going to see uh, the consequence in a sense of what it looks like. God gives us up, gives us over. Romans chapter 1, we pick it up in verse 26. Reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. I'll read down through the end of the chapter, verse 32. The word of the Lord. For, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women or consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men. And receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy and murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, 
haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree, those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Again, I, I understand, it seems, this almost seems wrong. Three times, verse 24, 26, 28, we read this phrase that God gave them. A, it seems not, not just wrong, it seems frightening, impossible, unloving at some level, contradicting to the very character of God. Doesn't God always love? Doesn't God always, always seek to forgive and to restore and rescue and redeem? That's why, that's why it's so important to understand, as we've sought to do the last couple weeks, what behold the goodness and the severity of God, the righteousness and the wrath. A holy God, a loving God, cannot and will not ever just kind of like wink away sin when there is intentional, deliberate disobedience. Hold on to this, okay? God is never going to force you to worship him. God is never going to coerce you to be obedient to him, to honor him, to love him. We will see what in virtually every single case that mankind attempts to replace God, you're going to begin to see the consequences of that. God is holy, set apart, hallowed. 500 plus times throughout the pages of Scripture, we see a description of God's holiness. Thankfully, what? He's not left us alone. He's given to us His Holy Spirit to sanctify us, to set us apart. So we as a church, we as individuals, will strive to be holy as well. But there's this, there's this struggle here. God says, you know what? You want this? You, you want this? You can have it. What is it? He says that God will give them up to, number one, dishonorable passions. For this reason. Well, let's back up. What, what do you mean? What, what reason? What has happened here? Last week we saw that God has revealed himself, and yet people have, what, squished the truth. They've shut it up. They've, they've shut it down. They've, they've put it in detention. Remember that? Suppress the truth. They, they knew God, but they didn't honor him as God. They didn't give thanks to God. They exchanged the glory of God. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. So much so that God says, you know what? I'm going to abandon you to your, here's the phrase, dishonorable passions. Other translations use this phrase. I'll hand you over to your shameful lusts, to your degrading passions, to your vile affections. Now just pause real quick. Think about it. It's implicitly revealed that what if there's dishonorable passions, there must also be honorable passions, correct? That's very clear. 
in this text, God is revealing, he's revealing to us that there's actually healthy, holy, appropriate affections. There's passions. We've been created in the image of a passionate God. So there's passions that actually preserve the honor of God. God has created us to enjoy life. God has created us to enjoy a holy, healthy passionate life now we understand that what there's different passions that are revealed in different ways we also understand that some people probably are are more passionate than other people right there's not one that's right and one that's wrong some people eat steak that's fine some people grill a masterpiece with grill marks that are like artwork that as you slice the Delmonico, there's a coloring and a marbling that when you cut it, it just what? The juices allow it to spring to life. And then you bite into it and you tasted heaven. That's what heaven tastes like. And then others like medium well. See, there's just a difference it's not right, wrong. That's who God has made us. However, remember what is happening here. Paul is what? He is, he is creating a case against ungodliness. So when it says three times God gave them up, he gave them up because what? Because the passions that we all love and we all enjoy and we should love and we should enjoy. God gave them up because the passions have become their God. What is that? That's idolatry. You shall have no other God before me. This is speaking about those that would not entertain the pure and the holy design. That God has intended for us. Matthew Henry describes it like this, and I quote, Those who dishonored God were given up to dishonor themselves. He continues on, A man cannot be delivered up to a greater slavery than to be given up to his own lusts. There's no greater slavery. There's nothing that will enslave you and harness you more than you allowing your lusts to run amok. God's saying, you, you, you want to play in the thorn bushes? Guess what's going to happen? You're going, you're going to get stuck with thorns. You, you want to play in the street? You, you're, you're going to get hit by a car. Now remember as well, any, anything, any good thing, any gift that God has given to us can be used and twisted and thwarted by the enemy to twist and distort it into something that's not designed or intended to be. So much so that we become what? We become locked, enslaved, entrapped into sin. In this particular context, and you know we've got to go here, it's describing specifically sexual sins. And even more specifically, it's describing the sin of homosexuality. Women exchange natural relations that are contrary to nature, and the men, likewise. Shameless acts. It's described as shameless acts. 
Right away, I know what you're thinking. Whoa, whoa, do you know, like, do you know where we live? Do you know what, 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 what year it is? Right away, we run the risk. We hear this, and you're like, you're moving into an area of potentially great offense. If there has, if there has been a subject that has caused tremendous stir in our society, it's this one right here. Tread lightly. Why? The LGBTQ plus movement in our society, in our world, in our culture context has gained a powerful, powerful platform. So much so that if anyone, if anyone dare speak up against it, pastors especially, you run the risk. And it's right around the corner. You run the risk. It's hate speech. This message is considered hate speech to preach that the sin of homosexuality is wrong. Now let me be clear here. I have not been given the authority. I do not personally have the authority to kind of pick and choose passages to add or to take away from Scripture. When Scripture speaks, I must speak. When Scripture is clear, I must be clear. Many would say, well, yeah, but, but you don't realize, like you have to look at the broad spectrum that that reference, to it's really just referring back to Old, old Covenant, Old Testament. The gay church, which literally exists today, the gay church would say, yeah, they're just clobber passages. They're called clobber passages of Genesis 19, Leviticus 18, and, and 20. We just stay away from the clobber passages today. No, no, that's not it. You can't say it's limited to Old Covenant, to Old Testaments. To be accurate, what the New Testament unequivocally speaks out against the sin of homosexuality. Not just right here in Romans chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, 1 Timothy 1, Jude verse 7. Like, Scripture's not like blurred on this subject. If you address it, what I'm not being judgmental. I'm not homophobic. I'm not a bigot. I'm not trying to stir up what hate speech and, and be a hate monger. Let me say something very clear, and it breaks my heart to say this. When it comes to this particular subject in our society today, the church of Jesus Christ has dropped the ball. I think they've handled it horribly. Circumstances, situations. I've been, like, how, do you, how, do you, like, how do you handle this one? How do you weave your way through here? The church of Jesus Christ has swung to what? The pendulum to opposite extremes. They've done one of two things. Either they have embraced it, which many denominations have done today. We just embrace it. In the United States alone, they have ordained homosexuals into ministry and created entire congregations that are celebrating, that are advocating and promoting what? Homosexuality as a healthy, natural expression of love between two people who are innocently born this way. And they will falsely twist scripture, Old Testament texts. Did you hear this one? That, that Esther is, is really an example of someone who's transgender. What? She was like a knockout intended by God. 
that, that, that the relationship of David and Jonathan was a homosexual relationship because their hearts were knit together. No, they were, like, they were like best friends. Don't twist Scripture. Don't add to it. Don't try to take and twist and distort the truth of Scripture into something and embrace it so that it's whatever you want it to be. The church of Jesus Christ has either embraced it or else what else have we done? I can't say more tragically. I think equally as tragic. They've elevated the sin of homosexuality beyond other sexual sins. Others have, have latched on to this sin that what if this one, now this is greater condemnation. Sin is sin. It is all a reproach before a holy God. No doubt, let me be very clear here, the nature of any sexual sin, I believe, carries with it unique consequences. Because of its design from what? From God who has created it exclusively as the greatest act of intimacy within the context of a man and a woman, a husband and wife in a marriage relationship. But it's interesting here how the church of Jesus Christ can very, very quickly condemn anyone who is struggling with same-sex attraction. The church can very quickly condemn homosexuality, but very easily and quickly kind of winks away at what? Two high school kids that are having premarital sex. Kind of winking, that's what young people do. Or extramarital, or pornography. Well, everyone just kind of, and we kind of, kind of just like toss this and sweep this, and we elevate. So wrong, so damaging. No wonder someone who's struggling with this particular sin, just like any one of us struggle with a host of sin, does not want anything to do with the church of Jesus Christ. Why? Because they, they're, they're hate mongers. They're homophobic. Homosexuality is just one sin here in this very long list that you will see. That Paul describes in this section. And if you think for a moment that you're kind of like, I'm excused. Bathroom break? <laughs> no, no. If you think for a moment that you're free from consequence because you personally don't struggle with same-sex attraction, it's very difficult to make our way through this chapter without seeing yourself in some way. By the time you get to Romans chapter 3, we're quite familiar with what all have sinned. Every one of us falls short of the glory of God. So when we read these words that God gave them up, understand this. Understand that God, in complete holiness, he alone has the full right and authority to do so. Which means what? You and I don't have that right. We don't have that authority. God himself can choose to say, you know what, I'm going to turn and let you wallow in it. I believe that we have to hold the full counsel of Scripture. There's very clear instruction regardless of any and all sin. What is our responsibility? We are told to love our neighbor. Period. Right there. You keep loving them, and you keep loving them, and you keep loving them. That does not mean you condone behavior. I was given the testimony just this past week. Tremendous young godly couple who have literally invited a friend into their home who's struggling in this area, this, this particular sin. 
And he just loved them. And he served them. Sat at the table and prayed with them. So much so that what? He knows that he, that, that he is loved by them. That, that they, they care for him. So when he comes and gives to them a wedding invitation, will you come and celebrate my marriage to my boyfriend? What is the loving thing to do? Let me be very clear. I can't condone. I can't celebrate. I can't attend and come alongside to say in the presence of God, these witnesses, we celebrate this. I love you, but I'm not celebrating your life. Not in that way. I'm not celebrating brokenness. I'm not celebrating sinfulness. I can't do that. I will love, and that's what we're instructed to do. But we don't condone and celebrate. What else does Scripture say? It says very clear that we are to pray fervently. I think it's the greatest thing that we can be doing for anyone, any one of us. James speaks about that. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. Righteous one. There is what? There is great answer waiting for that. We love our neighbor. We pray fervently in what? You speak truth in love. Ephesians chapter 4. It is what? It is, it is cradled in the philosophy of how we do ministry here. You don't fudge on truth at all. It must be full truth, but you don't budge or move on love at all. That's what God has called us to do as a local church. That's how we handle this. This is a delicate, difficult subject that we can go to one extreme or the other. God has the right in full holiness. But you and I have the power of the Holy Spirit to give us an ability to love and to pray and to speak truth. God not only gives people up to dishonorable passions, but it says as well, he gives them over, gives them up to a debased mind. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. That word debased here in Greek, it's adokimos. Listen very carefully to what the definition of the word debased mind means. The word debased, you know what it means? A debased mind? Here's the translation. Here's what it, here's what it means. It means bad. That's it. Like I'm like, give me some heavy here. It's bad. Like, you know, your two-year-old, like, that's good. That's bad. That's literally what it means. There's more here, which means what? If it's bad, it's not in accord with good. Well, I can figure that one out. That's what the word debased means. It's bad. It's not in accord with good. It's depraved. It's reprobate. Just stop for a moment. Notice that what they were speaking about the mind. It's the mind that causes us to do what ought not to be done it's the mind that controls the actions of the hands right it's the mind that controls the actions of where you're going to go it's the mind that controls your mouth interesting that throughout the pages of scripture there is such attention intentional attention that is given to what to the mind overwhelming importance you are to guard your minds this right here, like guard it, don't, don't let stuff in. It says that we are to be, what, we have our, our minds renewed. We're renewing our minds in Romans chapter 12. I like this one, prepare your minds for actions. First Peter says you're to be sober-minded. What exactly does that mean? 
My favorite, and this makes no sense in today's culture and context, my favorite description comes from the old King James Version from 1 Peter. And it says this, it says what? Gird up the loins of your mind. Like, what is that? I didn't know my mind had a loin. What is that? That's like great old English speech. Gird up the loose ends, the fragments that would normally trip you up. You, you gird up something when you'd want, you do you, what? We don't wear robes, okay? First century, ancient, Old Testament. Okay, they wore robes. And so you always, um, I, I remember I had to wear, you know that, you've been there. You, you have to wear a robe for graduation. I, I spoke, and you have to wear, and I remember sitting in a chair and stepping on my robe. And so when you stand up, you like can't, you know, it's like, whoa. So you can trip. So what you do is they wore a belt that you'd bring up the looseness and you tuck it in so you're good to go. The idea here is what? Our minds have like fragmented loose ends all over the place. We're to tuck it in. We're to control it. Because your mind is going to cause you, the mind's going to think that, 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 that it causes you to say things. To do things and go places that you should not go. How, remember this, how and what you think will have control of what you do. Proverbs chapter 23, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I was raised on the mantra, my father's wisdom. Garbage in, garbage out. Pretty simple. Garbage in, garbage, you, you put garbage in here. You refer to it as the eye gates and the ear gates. You allow garbage in, guess what? Guess what? Garbage is going to come out. Pretty simple philosophy. Pretty great wisdom. Garbage in, garbage out. When you fill your mind with the polluted cesspool that literally is accessible to us in unmeasurable. There's, there's never been a society where we've had access to so much. You pollute your mind with a cesspool that exists around us. There are no limits as to how what? Bad. We can become. So much so that it actually says that you are filled with all manner of unrighteousness. What's that look like? Human, human sin, our sin, my sin, is not just confined to sexual sins that was already referenced. Paul gives a catalog. Young people don't know what a catalog is today because you have Google. <laughs> Years ago, it was like this time of the year, you get the Sears catalog, and it was like this thick, and you, you could actually put a couple of them when you sat on the seat, and you were too. We didn't have like safety seats either and safety belts to sit at the table. You sat on Sears catalogs. They were like these thick books. That's what Paul's doing here. He's giving us a catalog of common evils that are amongst us. Verses 29 through 31 is a list no less than, get this, I counted 20 words, 20 descriptions, 20 sins that describes what a debased mind leads to. Most of them, we read, they're pretty like simple. They're pretty clear, self-explanatory. Haughty, boastful, heartless, ruthless, foolish. I mean, it doesn't really need much explanation. Within that list, there's a couple words. Hmm. 
probably don't use them a whole lot today. The word malice. What is malice? Isn't that, don't you take a malice and you like pound in a peg when you're camping and you need something to pound in? Is that a malice? No, it's close. Malice literally means what? A desire to do evil. You're just sitting around saying, hmm, how can I? This is the third grade boy, okay, in class. Just wanting what? How can I do evil here? The word what? Insolent. Not a word we would use today. Insolent is, 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 it means rudeness. It just means a disrespect. Ladies, ladies. I want you to, when you're walking into the store this week, just stop in front of the door and see if a gentleman opens the door for you. I want to see time, how long you're going to stay in there before somebody opens up the door. We're, we're to be just polite. The opposite, what, of, of politeness or respect is being insolent, a slanderer. Slander is one who actually is, is seeking to attack the reputation of another. Somebody posts something online you don't like, boom, you're in it. You're, you're, you're there to slander them. Notice as well, think about this for a moment. God, what? He turns his back. He gives them over to do what they ought not to do. Minds that are filled with all manner of righteousness. And, and you can become so bad in this list that what? So debase. That you, young people, can become disobedient to your parents. Notice as well, I thought this was quite intriguing, that murder and disobedient to parents is in the same list. Wow. Can I just speak for a moment to young people that are here today? Okay, parents, grandparents, you don't have to hear this. Young people that are here today, Mom, mom tells you to do something, you kind of flip her off somehow? And you want to do what you want to do? No, no, you're crossing a line here. Disobe being disrespectful, dishonoring, you disregard what your mother, your father, your grandfather, your grandmother told you to do? You disregard that? You disobey them? They told me this, and I'm going to do this. You're, you're moving into a territory of great danger. And I mean that with all honesty. I say that to you with love. It's in the same list as what? If you were to take a gun and shoot someone. Murder. So you don't play with this. You know what's interesting? What, what is certain here in this long list? No doubt. No doubt. We go down through 20. No doubt. We look around and we say, that is a perfect description of what our world looks like. No doubt, when I look at this list, I see many. And you know what else? You know what else happens when I see this list and I read this list? I see me. I, I, this, this, this boastful, foolish, slander, haughty. I mean, th this could be a description of any one of us. Before we very quickly kind of point, okay, yeah, that person, that, no. No, this speaks to us as a warning. To say, God, no, don't go here. Don't allow your mind to be filled with that. I must be careful. We must be careful. 
For when it comes to the one true God, the Lord of all, creator, sustainer of the entire universe, who graciously has revealed him, who in grace and love and mercy has revealed himself to us, and we take that and we suppress it, we shut it down, exchange glory, exchange truth, we, we try to replace God with ourselves. Warning here, you lose. You lose every day, all day. So much so that what? Here's the cheerful conclusion. You're deserving of death. Though they know God's righteous decree, those who practice such things... Deserve to die. Well, good morning to you too. I got out of bed for this. Dishonorable passions. Debased mine. Deserving of death. Could I not have stayed home and watched this one in my bathrobe so I can just hit mute whenever I want? Like, this is hard stuff. Remember the setting here. Back up. Let's get the landscape. What is happening? Paul, the, the apostle in love, pastoral fatherly love, is creating a case against the ungodly. And he's simply, what, in full truth, the result, the consequences, the verdict, though you know God's righteous decree, you continue to practice, you deserve. Here, here's the response from the judge. Paul's not the judge. He's referring to God above. What? Guilty. What is the penalty? It's the death sentence. It's not like 60 days, okay, gang? It, it's not, you don't do that. Now, doesn't that seem just a, a bit heavy? Like, I just disobeyed my parents, and you're telling me, wait, wait a minute, hold on. What, what is the full counsel? Do not be deceived. Paul writes to the church at Galatia. Don't be fooled. God will not be mocked. Like, I think there's base instruction here when we get to a holy God that we just kind of like drive over. Yeah, well, he's going to forgive and there's grace. Wait a minute. You stay in that. Don't be fooled. Leviticus chapter 19, Leviticus chapter 20, Leviticus chapter 21, Exodus chapter 19, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 1. You are to be holy. Why? Because God is holy. I'm a Christian. I, I follow Christ. I'm to live like Christ. Well, there's really not any, um, there's no outlet here. When it comes to the holiness of God, and we are to be holy people, God will always, always, always raise the bar. He'll never lower it. But thankfully, he gives us the means through his Holy Spirit to what set us apart, to sanctify us through this process. Now, what's interesting here is that this last verse, it, it, it concludes with a strong, like, as if this wasn't stinging enough. There's now what I call a stinging conclusion that is designed to kind of shock us, to wake us up, to motivate us. Listen very carefully here. The guilty, those that are actually deserving of death, God has given them over, dishonorable passion, debased mind, but are... Those that are deserving of death are not only those who practice such things. That's that long list we talked about. But it actually says what? But those who give approval to those who practice those things. Which means what? He's raising the bar. 
I'm, I'm not even being disobedient to you, Mommy, honestly. No, but you allowed it. You didn't go to your little sister and say, Hey, Dingbat, I love you. Don't do that. That's, that's what it's talking about. And if we know what? They're, they're very, very well known. If we know that silence indicates approval. If you do not voice your objection, if you're not, excuse me, I have a question. That doesn't look right, doesn't smell right. If you don't voice your objection, it is assumed you automatically support it. Enter what? Enter the bride of Christ. Enter the local church of Jesus Christ. Those of us who have been bought by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been set apart for holiness, set apart with purpose. Then what is our job? What is your job? You and I better speak up. Not in arrogance. We're not allowed to do it like that. Not in haughtiness, not in a judgmental. The redeemed better speak up for holiness, for truth. That's what we do. A church that says, let's just remain silent on this. Like, let's just take Romans chapter 1 and we'll just kind of move on. No, no, no. And if we can't do it as a church, I can't do it as an individual, neither can you. I understand this is heavy. I want to leave you with this. I want to leave you with good news. There is hope that is offered. There is, there is amazing hope. I understand dishonorable and debased and death. Like, this is really hard. This is really heavy. I have agonized as I've written this message. I've called people around me to say, will you pray for me? Because, like, this is, like, this is really hard. There's good news here. There's hope that is offered. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses he has made us alive together with christ tough truth but please understand here please understand i hope you see i'm just i'm just holding up a sign Okay, there's a cliff right there, and you're like 60 miles an hour. You're going towards it. I'm just holding up the sign, like, stop! Danger! That's what you need to be doing as well. For your neighbor, you love your neighbor. You're to love your neighbor. For the kid that sits next to you in class. The one that, what? Where's the ugly mask? It's just in this bus seat behind you, like 17 feet away. That one back there that you don't even want to talk to? Out of love, we say, wait, don't go there. Be assured, God, God, God will never leave us without hope. God never desires to turn one over to abandon, particularly if someone is seeking and striving. If someone is asking, I just want help here. And most people, if you were to listen to them, they're looking for some help. They're looking for some hope. And our responsibility is to come alongside them and tell them, but God, being rich in mercy. You see, the, the amazing part of the good news of the gospel is that it, what, it stands in the forefront against the background of the bad news that exists all around us. The goodness of God, the greatness of God, the grace of God, the glory of God, 
is that he says this. I love you. I love you. I love you so much that I don't want you to turn from me. I have a plan for you. I have a good plan for you. I love you so much. I've offered my own son for you. I, I delight that I can plan, and as elders and pastors, we can plan and pray, and forgive me, but we just lean in day by day, and, and at some level, we're kind of like on a roller coaster, we're holding on tight, that, that God sets our plans for us. And I am so delightful that God, in his just majestic grace, lined up the latter part of Romans chapter 1 with this message right here. I am so thankful for that. Wasn't my plan, sorry. I'm just, I'm just. That we, when we talk about the fact that God loves us, he doesn't want to turn us away. He will. You want that? You can have it. But God actually demonstrated his love for us in such a way. That while we were yet sinners. What? Knowing that the wages of our sin is death. We'll get to that in Romans chapter 6. Wake up early for that one too. But God said, I, I love this little one. They look a little weird, I understand, but I still love them. I've made them uniquely. I've crafted them just to be that person. And I don't, I don't want them to be apart from me. I want them to be drawn to me. And in the demonstration of love, God, what? Came to earth. That's the incarnation. And he, he was what? He, was, he, he became flesh and dwelt among us. Emmanuel, God with us. He had a body. And as he sat with his disciples in the upper room, he had a picture of his body. That's what the bread was. And we know this is what we do in communion. What is, what, is, what is communion? The communion table, the sacraments. What is communion? Common union. The body and the blood of Christ for all of us. Through the incarnation, Jesus became flesh, dwelt among us, and as a picture of what he was going to suffer, as the extent of his love, he said, I am willing to be torn apart, to be broken, to be pierced for you. He took the bread and he broke it. And he said, just as his bread is being broken, my body is going to be broken. I want you to eat this. Hold on to this. Remember this. When you taste this, when you smell this, don't ever forget what I've done for you. That's how much I love you. Jesus, what also it says, took the fruit of the vine. And he poured it out. And he said, this is a picture of my blood. My blood is going to be poured out. And that's exactly what happened the very next day. The crucifixion, it was a bloody mess. He was whipped and he was nailed and pierced. But it's the blood that we know that offers life. When Jesus died, he died to pay the price for my sinfulness and your sinfulness. So when we put our faith and our trust in the full finished work of Jesus that his death brings us life. That's the reason that we, what? We don't just commemorate the communion table. We do commemorate it, but we also celebrate. We celebrate. I am so 
so deserving of God's wrath. And yet in love, he offered a means of salvation. You know, part of the definition of who a church is, what a church is, is that we gather for this purpose right here. In our tradition, we do it, Bigwood style, third Sunday of the month. I've never met a church to do it. Sorry, that's okay. We just regularly are to do this. And we do this remembering what Jesus Christ has done for us on our behalf. His body was broken, his blood was poured out for our sins, that we eat this bread, we drink this cup, so we never forget, never forget. And so we welcome you this morning. If you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to be served this. And, and please just take this and pray, thank you, Lord, so much for your love. But if you're here this morning and what? You have not acknowledged the fact that you are a sinner and you don't understand the fact that your sin is deserving of death, but Jesus stepped in to pay for your sin. I invite you, I encourage you this morning. Say, Lord, I want you. I want all of you. And I want to follow you in full obedience. I know that only you are the way, the truth, and the life. I'm going to invite the elders and deacons that are going to come up. And because of the situation around us, we're not going to serve you. So we're going to ask in just a moment or two that you would come up. So we have stations um, four, five, including the one in the middle. And what I'm going to ask is that we're going to um, just take a moment and we're going to, in silence, uh, pray. Thanking the Lord for what he's done. But what, what I want you to do is I want you to, to, to come forward. And I think the act of even moving forward and taking a step is a really neat act. So you're going to come. If you want to come as a family, that's okay. You can do that. The guys have um, gloves on, and they're going to serve you the, the bread and the cup at the same time. So you'll be given that, take that back to your seat, and then we'll take, partake of that together. Please understand that if you're not a member of Big Woods Bible Church, that's okay. If you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you just like dropped in and are visiting with us today, you are welcome to this. But I ask very respectfully, if you're not a believer and you have no desire, please do not receive this and take this. God will not be mocked. The gentlemen are going to take this. They'll go to their stations in a moment or two. I just ask you to come forward, take this, return to your seats, and then we'll pray and we will take this together.
there is, um, there is something delightful and there's something beautiful about the concept of common union, that we are in this together. We're all different. And we have one thing as believers that draws us together more than anything else. Common union. I was thinking about it, just sitting and praying. We take a strong stand on truth here at Big Woods. And um, you preach that sin is actually sin. And it can very easily be categorized as something and hate speech. And I've even heard that pastors have, have been imprisoned because they would be considering um, saying the words that they say. And I thought, well, would I, like, would I do that? Well, yeah, I'd have to. You know, I'm, I'm kind of a baby, just to let you know. And I thought, the delight is I, I would go to prison if that's what God wanted me to do. But you guys better come visit me. Because we're, we're together. Don't just leave me there, okay? Like, that's what draws us, all the differences. But we have something in union. And that's what Christ gives to us, that gives us the boldness to speak truth in love. Um, Paul addresses, and he's writing to the church at Corinth. This is what the church has done, not just here now, but literally for Millennia. It says this, that the Lord Jesus Christ, in the very night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It says, in the same manner also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this covenant, this cup, is the new covenant in my blood. Do this. Drink this. As often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. Father, we are so grateful for who you are. We're so grateful, Lord, that even in tough texts and hard truth, you're present, that you never leave us, you never forsake us. Thank you, Lord, for this moment that we've had together in quietness to just pause and see what we have in union through Jesus. Thank you for your body and your blood. Thank you, Lord, for the bread and for the cup that are constant reminders. May we sing in celebration of who you are and what you've done. Bless us. In your name we pray.